reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning can you hear me can you see me wonderful then we're in business okay this morning we are looking at the baptism of jesus it's a lectionary reading so uh this is where we are today baptism of jesus um in a church like this, we inevitably have uh, very different views when it comes to baptism. One such view and take on it is depicted beautifully on the screen there by a participant in the process. Um, I'm not going to focus on the rights and wrongs of the baptismal ritual, how we do it, why we do it, um, other than to say this, that we are physical beings. And the incarnate God has committed himself to bodies as a meeting place. With him, we are disposed to physical mediation. And so stuff, for want of a better word, bread, wine, water, they are vital to us. They help us to keep the corporate memory of God's actions alive. And God's promised to act through this particular physical means of water. And so the sacrament of baptism is a very powerful embodiment of God's promises to us. Now, as our passage today uh, stated, when we submit to meeting God in that place, it really pleases him. And today I want us to focus on verse 11. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And we're going to have a look at the passage this morning, so do keep it open in front of you. And from the passage, we're going to explore the question, what pleases God? Because church, we want to please God, don't we? 
Yeah, good. Yeah, you don't sound as convinced as nine o'clock did. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, we want to please you, but sometimes we just don't know how. But we know that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And we pray this morning that you would take that desire we have and that you would flesh it out for us so we know what it means to please you and that we know what it means to feel your pleasure. Amen. Okay, going through the passage systematically then, we're starting at verses 4 and 5. And one thing that pleases God is repentance. Commentators tell us that Jewish baptism wasn't a new thing under John the Baptist. Baptism had been used for non-Jews when they came to join the Jewish community as a kind of sign of conversion. They were baptized. But John's message was pretty radical in that he's suggesting that those who are already in the community need to repent. Being a member of the faith community doesn't mean you're sorted even if you've been here for most of your life. You see, being human means we are flawed. Being human means that we make mistakes. Being human means that we have the potential to follow courses of action which lead to the destruction of ourselves and those around us. So, I'm going to suggest that repentance is a gift that you give to yourself as much as it's a gift that you offer to God. Repentance means I choose to follow God's ways, not mine. It's interesting that if you, if you just look forward a few verses to verse 15, when Jesus starts his teaching ministry, the first thing he says is this, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent, repent. As I was looking for a slide to go with repent, uh, I came across this phrase quite a lot on the internet, repent or perish. And I thought, my goodness, that's uh, strong words. Do you know, I'm going to suggest that I don't think repent or perish means repent or God will have it in for you. I think it's just telling you the consequences. Repent because you're already destroying yourself. Repent because your natural course of action is not a good one for you or for those around you. Repentance is a gift that you give yourself and God. When we break the destructive cycle, you see, of going our own way, God is delighted. In fact, we're told that there is a party in heaven. Do things God's way. The kingdom of God is at hand, and when Jesus is king, it's his rules that matter, his authority that's supreme, his faithfulness and trustworthy that are the sure and certain thing in our lives. Going God's way is the best choice you can make. We all make choices in the other direction, however long we've been Christians, however much plastic we have round our necks, we all make bad decisions, and God's saying this, repent, turn around. Let's get this right. Let's do this my way. Second thing I think this passage tells us, moving on to verse 7, is that God is really pleased when we recognize Jesus. John says this of Jesus, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. 
I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Isn't this great stuff? Here's John, center of attention down at the river there. People are coming to see him. And he's just going, I know my place. I'm not important. He's not interested in defending his position because his position in relation to Jesus is where John becomes the John that God made him to be. In leading others to Jesus, John is complete. This is so important, church. You see, we spend such a lot of our time and energy trying to make ourselves safe in an uncertain world. We search for meaning. We search for power. We search for security. And most of the time, to achieve those ends, we're either looking into ourselves at our scant resources, or we're looking to other people around us to provide what we need. But aren't we missing something? John, in this passage, places his significance in the framework of the one who is more powerful than him. John is because Jesus is. You are because he is. He must become greater. I must become less. Your safe place isn't in your status or your job. Your safe place is not in the alliances you forge or the defenses you put up or the identity you choose to portray for the world around you. Your safe place is in Christ. And until you truly know that, the security you crave will elude you. This brings us on to uh, the third thing our passage speaks of, which is in verses 9 to 11 at the baptism of Jesus. And this is obedience. Obedience pleases God. Obedience to God is an expression of our love for God. Here we see Jesus submitting to baptism. Quite astonishing that, isn't it? The king of the universe, identifying with our mess and our sin and our need to repent. One of the early church fathers, Gregory, um, had this, this phrase he kept using, and it, was, it is this, what is not assumed is not healed. He doesn't mean what's not kind of guessed at. He, he means what is not taken on board and internalized is not healed. And Jesus is assuming or absorbing everything about what it is to be human. He's identifying with us with the aim of rescuing us. If he doesn't identify with our sin and mess, then he can't save us. So he's obedient to God's plan for the atonement of the whole cosmos. I said I wasn't going to talk about how baptism gets done right, but um, I don't know what motivated you to get baptized. That's indeed, if you did choose it, you may have been done as a baby. But for me, I think it was probably about obedience. I'd been brought up in the Salvation Army, as Jacqueline will tell you. Uh, they don't uh, practice baptism. Uh, and I had this mindset that would say something like, well, I've met so many absolute saints of God who've never been anywhere near the water. How can you tell me this is necessary for salvation? How can you tell me it's any more than a ritual? Um, 
I can still relate to that, even as an Anglican priest, although I think it's flawed. Um, but as a student, I started going to an Anglican church, and I went to talk to one of the clergy there about baptism, um, because there was a baptism service coming up, and I thought, well, I need a good reason not to do it, so I'll go and have an argument with him about this, and we'll be fine. <laughs> but he didn't talk me through the reasons for being baptized. He just said to me, well, you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus tells us to baptize. Jesus did it, so get your name on the list. <laughs> so, good point. You know, um, not necessarily about baptism, but you know what? If Jesus says to do it, do it. Don't argue. Just get on with it. Because God, you see, he knows the bigger picture. When God asks us to do something, he sees a picture we don't see. And the cost of disobedience can be high. I'd like to tell you a story this morning about a time I was disobedient, um, I'm telling you it because I don't want you to fall for the same trick of the enemies that I did in thinking that I couldn't possibly be obedient because it would be too embarrassing. Um, it's something I've kind of had in the back of my conscience, so to speak, for about 14 years now. Um, the day my daughter Iona was born, um, I was in hospital with a friend of mine who was also expecting a baby at the same time. It was her first baby. It was a much longed for baby. And we were in hospital together. And her labor was going very slowly for various reasons. And I was a fourth timer, so mine wasn't. Um, and I had Iona. And as I was uh, sitting in the postnatal ward reading scripture, I was reading Psalm 121. And I came to the verse that says, um, the Lord will watch over your going out and your coming in. And I felt that God was saying to me, you know, when people come into life and when they leave life, I am there. And I want you to tell Gillian. And I thought, okay, that's all very nice, God, but you know, I've just had a baby. My emotions are all over the place. I'm just quite euphoric here. I can't go around telling people things like that. Um, she'll think I'm mad if I suddenly march up to her with a Bible verse, because that wasn't the culture of our church at the time. And so I didn't tell Gillian what I felt God wanted me to tell her. And 48 hours later, I got a phone call to say that Gillian had had a stillbirth. I believe that God wanted Gillian to hear that in life and in death, he is there. And I didn't tell her. Disobedience has consequences beyond yourself and they're rubbish. And I'm telling you this story just because I don't want you to do that, okay? If God tells you to do something, get on with it. Don't question it, even if you think it might make you look mad. Okay, so um, we've looked at Three things we can do which please God. Um, but now I'm going to tear that up, actually. Because if you've taken from what I've said the idea that you can do anything to make God approve of you, then I'm not preaching the gospel. I want to make that clear. Obedience, um, as I said, is a side effect of love. We love God and we want to please him. Just like in a marriage relationship or in any friendship, um, we want to please that person because we care about them. But how did we come to love God in the first place? Well, 1 John 4:19 says, we love because he first loved us. He loves us, not because of anything we have done to earn that love, but because it's his nature. God 
is love. When our children were little, I would often pop into their bedrooms uh, after they'd gone to bed and when they were asleep to find Martin sitting there, just staring at them. Just enjoying the fact that these people are here, they belong to us, and we love them. In this beautiful, tender moment at the baptism of Jesus, I think we see such a moment uh, as Father, Son, and Spirit are present in a little interlude of deep love. I don't see uh, the words of God uh, at Jesus' baptism as a sign that the Father's rewarding the Son for uh, getting baptized. I think that would limit our picture of the Trinity to a kind of bilateral paternal setup in which this contract's being fulfilled and God's pleased that Jesus has done his bit. Um, I think what we see here is a communion of love and pleasure in just being. Just being. And love is there. I was in Durham this week. I've mentioned before this rather strange painting. Um, It's above the tomb of Cuthbert, kind of right above. So if Cuthbert's on the ground, this tomb is right above him. The the plan being that at the resurrection, the first thing Cuthbert will see is Jesus with his arms open in welcome. It's a lovely motif, and I've taken to uh, lying on the floor beside Cuthbert uh, when I go to Durham Cathedral and looking up at Jesus with his arms stretched out in love. But when I was there this week, I noticed something I hadn't seen before, and it was in the inside rim of this painting around the gold bit, and it was uh, a narrative from the Annunciation to Mary, and it says this, it says, greetings, favored one. And I thought that's interesting because At this point in the Annunciation story, Mary hasn't even heard God's request, let alone said yes to it. But she's favored. God delights in her. And he doesn't delight in her because she's agreed to do what he wants. He delights in her because he just does. He loves her. So how then... Do we make sure that God is pleased with us? Well, you can't. It's the wrong question. He's already pleased with you. He already delights in you. The question is, how are you going to respond to his love for you? What do you need to repent of this morning? Do you recognize who Jesus is? And yeah, most of us here kind of know who Jesus is because we've been here in sermons for years. But do we know to the core of our being who we are in him so that that's a safe place that's immovable? And how are you going to be obedient to God today? What's he asking you to do, even if it makes you look stupid? Let's pray. Father God, we belong to you. We are yours. I pray this morning that everybody here would know your pleasure in them and that they would long to please you in return so that Jesus' name can be glorified. Amen.